0: Oh, my gosh, you found this. Welcome to the very first SorkinCast episode. SorkinCast is dedicated to the writings of Aaron Sorkin in television, which includes shows like The West Wing, The Newsroom, Sports Night, maybe Studio 60, and other things as well. Maybe his movies at some point. Uh, But right now, this time around, uh, we've decided to start with the first season of West Wing. By the way, my name is Matt Murdick, and I am from sorkincast.wordpress.com. That's where you will be able to find all episodes of this podcast. You'll also be able to find all of those important contact links and podcatcher links And I would really appreciate it if you found this podcast to please leave me a review on iTunes so that it helps me get more noticeable to other fans of Aaron Sorkin shows. Uh, Now, what you have to say in your review is totally up to you. For instance, I want to thank Scorn Dog, who was the first person besides myself to review my own podcast. Uh, Scorn Dog only gave me one star and said this is a slap in the face to longtime loyal listeners of Matt. Uh, And Scorn Dog, if you just happen to be listening, I hope that I can convince you otherwise because I have one of your favorite podcasters, I know, joining me. I'm going to try and convince him to not feel the same way that you do by the end of this podcast. I'm talking about, since it's West Wing, I'm talking about the president of the podcast world in general. This guy oversees an empire of podcasts. For instance, the Joffrey of podcasts, which covers Game of Thrones. He also oversees the Got Your Milk podcast, which is about the strain on FX. And him and his cohort, Catfish, are also doing a podcast, probably just wrapping up now, the series called Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, which is on BBC America. That podcast is called Lost Hope. I can be talking about none other than President Bubba, Bubba, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Good evening, friends, fellow Americans, podcast listeners. It's good to be here.
0: How are your demographics looking after the season of Game of Thrones, Bubba? Uh, have you enjoyed some success with that podcast, uh, given the popularity of the show?
1: Popularity keeps going up, up, and up. And if people want to hear, <laughs> people want to hear uh, podcasters traumatized by this crazy series. Listen to the Joffrey podcast on iTunes. We get traumatized each week.
0: <laughs> now, how traumatizing is the uh, the strain to you guys as well?
1: Uh, it's traumatizing to my stomach, to my uh, taste buds. <laughs> the <This> strain <laughs> is a uh, horror series. It's supposed to be scary. supposed to be gross and gory. It's uh, the latter two more than the first one, but uh, it's certainly – can be wild, campy fun at times, which is what I like about it. And this new BBC America show, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. some people call it Harry Potter for adults. And how is it for adults? Well, because it's going to take some dark emotional turns as it goes along. So a lot of different varieties. It's good to be back uh, in the Sorkin world, where a lot of times there are noble heroes who are going to do right, and I'm excited to be here.
0: All right. Well, I, I'm hoping that I can convince you uh, to give this, uh, this series a little bit of a chance past just the first episode. Uh, I looked at some of your notes that we've made for, for this particular episode, and I thought, well, he's kind of on the fence on a lot of things about Sorkin in general. But let, let me just put it to you the way I look at Sorkin shows before we go any, on any further. Sure. I don't see these guys – first of all, I look at Sorkin shows as kind of fairy tales. Uh, and I think that if you look at it in that kind of through that lens, then um, and accept it for that, then some of the stuff that probably bothers me and you in other shows like a Game of Thrones or a Doctor Who or whatever, that that some of that goes away. Um, I also look at the characters as caricatures as opposed to characters. I, they're they're overdrawn um, most of the time, especially in this show. Um, They're way too smart for their own britches, and they talk too fast, and they get so much done in a day that it's impossible for a human to do. Uh, As you said, noble heroes and hated villains. There are many more white hats and black hats in an Aaron Sorkin show uh, than what has become popular today, as opposed to what has become popular today, like the anti-hero kind of show. Um, Would you tend to agree with that assessment, given the, the Sorkin shows that you've watched?
1: I definitely would agree with it, Matt. I would say that my favorite piece of work that Sorkin has done maybe centers on an infamous antihero from today, and that's his movie work, specifically his script for The Social Network, where the main character in that film, Mark Zuckerberg, he has all the Sorkin characteristic traits of a hero in that he's smart, he's visionary, he's making a lot of the right choices, especially in his business life, but his uh, lack of emotional heroism is is fascinating. And so it's interesting in that film, he, he has a great debate with his college buddy who helps him start up Facebook. And on the actual ideas for the business, Zuckerberg's right on all of them, but on the uh, kind of friendship level, he's wrong. And so I thought that was fascinating. Uh, I watched a bit of Sports Night, his comedy show, which preceded West Wing, and I thought it was okay, but it didn't, have a lot of laughs for me and so I stepped away from that and then two shows which I have a lot of my own history in these type of fields to show Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip in the newsroom uh, really both struck me wrong because of the white hat bit and the black villain part on the newsroom I work in a newsroom it's uh, I understand that world and, and he was just simplifying it a bit too much for me and then Studio 60 I had a friend who was a, a recurring character on that show, and I f- ended up finding the show just not funny. And I was—I always used to tell the story. I was at uh, performing comedy on the night that Lady Di passed away in that tragic car wreck in Paris. So this is a slight tangent. And I was in a comedy club. We had just performed some shows, and so though, even though everybody was really sad, we did—we were comedians. We everybody made jokes. And so on the first episode of Studio 60. Uh, The boss, for lack of a better word, has this kind of painful breakdown, and so he leaves, and yet we follow all these comedians, and none of them were doing any gallows humor or black humor, and then the whole show just didn't have any laughs, even though it was based around making a comedy show. So I've had some real trouble with them. I have not. I'm a West Wing virgin. I have only watched one episode of the West Wing in my entire life, and that was after the tragedy of 9-11. I knew they were coming out with a special episodes I wanted to watch that because I thought that was a fascinating idea but despite all my friends loving West Wing I just have never ever seen any episodes of it so I you know spoiler alert I watched this first episode the pilot and I do think it's really good there is a bit of uh, good Sorkin as I'd say and a bit of bad Sorkin in here but really not too much bad Sorkin and so I really enjoyed this episode of TV
0: well, I'm glad that you uh, at least allowed me to twist your arm into doing this podcast, <laughs> and hopefully, you will enjoy uh, doing uh, watching more West Wing when you get a chance to uh, in the future again for yourself. I wouldn't make you come back every week because I think by that time you would be as grumpy as you are in some of our George R. R. Martin books podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do appreciate you taking the time to join me with this, and l- let me tell you a little bit about this pilot episode that you oh, watched. Great, please. Uh, it was written, of course, by the showrunner Aaron Sorkin. It was directed by Thomas Schlamme. Uh, it first aired on September 22, 1999, which uh, I'm sure for many of us who are, that was kind of the cusp of the big Internet huge boom, uh, the secondary boom. So uh, this show is going to seem quite dated to many newer viewers. Uh, it was viewed at that time by what used to be regular network television numbers, 12.1 million viewers uh, was its premiere, which was really good when you compare that to uh, you know, the kind of numbers that we see for network television today. There's a website called geos.tv that I refer to often. It's called the Global Episode Opinion Survey. If you become a member of it, you're allowed to rank episodes or rate episodes, and then they rank them by the average rating. And this pilot at uh, Geostv ranks as the 48th best episode out of 156 possible. Wow. So, great. Uh, yeah. So it's good, that, it's good that the pilot comes in in the first third, right? Because that way, at least then you know that it's maybe got a shot of, of uh, continuing on. And, and West Wing did get seven seasons, uh, although I personally will tell you that uh, Sorkin left uh, in terms of writing for the show after the fourth season. He still stayed on as a creative consultant, of course, much the same way Eric Kriptke did with the uh, Supernatural series. Uh, but uh, once he left, some of the writing flair for me kind of left. Um, I will say that. So I'll, I'll address that stuff when we get much further down in the podcast, because I don't even know what order I'm going to watch everything in. Uh, here's a, a, a summary for this particular episode, Bubba. The Chief of Staff, Leo McGarry, and his staff deal with a number of situations, including Cuban refugees, a senator who may challenge the president in the next election, and the insult of key conservatives by Deputy Chief of Staff Josh Lyman, while awaiting President Bartlett to return to the White House after a bicycle accident. Meanwhile, Deputy Communications Director Sam Seaborn finds his own messes, including insulting Leo McGarry's daughter and unknowingly sweeping with a call girl.
1: Matt, just that episode summary that you just read, to me, is good Sorkin. And why would I say it's good Sorkin? Because it feels so real and so true. If you were working in the White House, you wouldn't just have one issue to deal with in a day. You'd have have hundreds because you're in the White House, for goodness sake. And so that was just kind of the complexity of it all, was good Sorkin because it felt real. And I did like that.
0: You know, another interesting aspect about a White House in this time period would be that uh, it's, it's almost kind of like pre-social media. And so uh, I, one of the things that I really enjoy about uh, these particular uh, episodes, especially early on, is that you see that the White House uh, press secretary, CJ, has to still sometimes has a slight edge on the White House knowing more than what the press does. I don't think that that would be the case anymore. Do do you?
1: No, you are absolutely right. Instead, uh, they maybe have some inner dealings. They may know how the president feels about issue, but it's not them reporting news too much at a White House press conference anymore, is it?
0: No, it it becomes much more reactive than uh, uh, proactive, that is for sure. Um, one of the things that became a hallmark of the show, and I think you have a very interesting note about this, which we'll talk about after you hear the clip, folks. Um, seems like in almost every episode, there, there is what we fans of West Wing have come to know as a walk and talk scene. They're kind of like many many meetings in between as people are walking from one office to another, where uh, you typically get a, a, a big exchange of information or a switch in the plot or something like that. And they're often done with these kind of cuts that seem pretty seamless as far as editing goes or long shots through uh, a, a, a part of the set. Their sets evidently at the time were pretty big and they, and they had a way to design and move things around where they could move the camera around. And uh, we definitely have a walk and talk this week, which is the very first scene that you get Uh, basically with Leo McGarry walking into the White House, into the West Wing, uh, seeing many of the people uh, that he will deal with throughout the day
2: and uh, starting to get information on the day. And here is that for you guys to listen to. Bubba, as you mentioned, uh, the
0: before about how there's many things going on um the idea that the leaders of a nation are having to multitask um that's just a theme carried throughout the entire series uh but i will say this uh as someone who's rewatching the series sometimes that inspires confidence and sometimes just the opposite
1: well i i like that of it too as well matt nobody can be an expert or handle everything. When you're multitasking, some things do rise to the front. And you're able to solve that problem. And sometimes smaller problems become bigger problems. I I actually, once again, I'm going to keep mentioning kind of realistic. And I have never been to the White... I've walked outside the White House. I've never been inside. I've never been in this area. But I, I believe it. I believe everybody has to be multitasking. I believe everybody has to kind of be quick on their feet. You would have to be in this environment that you're talking about. And I really, really enjoyed it. This walk and talk was a great way for me, a new watcher of the show, to be introduced to these characters, and there are a lot of characters, and I like that about it. In a place like the White House, there would be uh, hundreds of people working on various things. Uh, It was a great way for me to meet them all and, uh, once again, to dive in. I work in an office. Many people work in offices, and you walk around, and you go to different areas, and so I think it's been a a move, this walk and talk has been stolen by so many shows. And because I wasn't a West Wing watcher, I kind of wondered, isn't this what they used to do on ER? But it's tough for me to remember. But I really liked it. I thought it was, uh, you know, I want to be immersed in this world, and I thought the walk and talk was great.
0: You may be right about the ER thing. Uh, I, I I personally don't know because that's one show that I did not really watch that much of at the time and haven't gone back and rewatched. That's probably something I should do in my own spare time, is to, to uh, watch ER. So I will I will check that out, because I think that's a very interesting uh, note. Now,
2: there, there's little
0: jabs here and there throughout the episode. Even in this walk and talk, Leo is kind of giving some, some little quick jabs uh, to people as he goes along. He doesn't care who they are, or, or, or whatever's going on, uh, but... The episodes are always full of those. That's a very much a Sorkin trait, just these quick either personal, political, or professional things,
2: uh, humorous quotes more or less. And we would like for you to hear some of those that I selected right here. Now, Bubba, one of the things that I really like uh, mm-hmm. just because I thought it was funny, uh,
0: because I know that I cannot spell <laughs> Omar Gaddafi's name uh, to save my life. So I really enjoyed McGarry uh, trying to get through to the New York Times to tell him that they've spelled the name wrong, and, and the whole bit about, well, I've, I've organized a strike against the man. I ought to know how to spell his name. I thought that was personally funny.
1: I Matt, I loved so many of these quips. I love everything that you're talking about, but this specific quip, I didn't like. Now, I mentioned that I'm new to the West Wing. I did watch every episode of The Newsroom. And on that show, it sometimes felt that this wasn't something the character was so saying so much as the uh, kind of, once again, the I'm smarter than thou kind of sorkin coming through. Like, I'm smarter than you. You're a fool. I'm smug. And in this particular case, I think if I hadn't seen the uh, show The Newsroom, I would have been on this side and understood it as a Character be where it is kind of a funny jab that this guy is so kind of anal and such. So he is a know-it-all, and so he liked it. But for whatever reason, uh, once again, I think it's my bias because I watched the West. Uh, sorry, the newsroom. I didn't see it as a character moment. I saw it as a kind of thing where uh, Sorkin himself was trying to put in some kind of smug dialogue. But I did well, love if, all the other jabs.
0: Well, I did. I I, I can appreciate that point. Bubba, because uh, I think that there are some parallels between the West Wing and, and the newsroom in the fact that certain, certain times during any particular episode, if Sorkin is writing it, he will begin to pontificate a little bit through his characters. And, and that, to me, is just the trait of a Sorkin show, which I accept. But uh, in terms of character, whether you embrace the characters or not, I can definitely see how that can come across as off-putting, uh, certainly. So...
2: But once uh, again, I,
1: I'm going to jump in on your point about how, uh, when he walks through the through the offices, he has a little something about everybody. Once again, that shows the characters have a shared history, have a shared language, shared jokes, and so that's realistic. You speak in your own office. Everybody speaks to uh, people they know differently. Like I speak to you, Matt. Like duh, Matt's wrong again. Where I speak to <laughs> you know my priest, I'm always like. Ugh. You're also wrong again. Wait, no, but you know what I mean. You speak to people differently based on your relationships with them. And so I really like this pilot. I like this episode. And despite that one little problem with it, I did like the way these characters were rendered, were created.
2: All right. Well,
0: why don't we talk about the plot of the story? And we'll start with our first clip of the kind of the, the overall plot. We pick up after the intro of Deputy C- Director of Communications, Sam Seaborn waking up with Lori and various members of the staff informed of the president's bicycle accident and start with Leo's meeting with Sam, C.J., Craig, Josh Lyman, and Toby Ziegler. They discuss the Cuban refugees on their way to Florida, then C.J. briefs the press about the president while they speculate about Josh losing his job. We next go to Josh trying to assure his assistant, Donatella Moss, that he won't be fired, but Toby arrives to tell Josh how to fix things with Reverend Al Caldwell, or else
2: or else his job is in real danger. Okay, this isn't in the clip, Bubba, but in, in the intro, uh, I think
0: that the intro is all, uh, as we've already kind of pointed out, it's it's about understanding how, that these people. Well, they work for the president, naturally, but when the, when the show first came on, I have to say that I didn't know, and this is back in 1999, I didn't know what POTUS meant. <laughs> I know, that's silly of me. No, um,
1: Matt, can, Matt, can I jump in, in and that, say that I don't expect you to know what POTUS is. I don't expect a lot of people, uh, you know, if I started naming some terminology from my own work, you'd be like, oh, what in the world is he talking about? But. They would. Those people in Washington, D.C., in the nation's capital, they would know what POTUS meant. And so that's real. That's something that uh, I think the greatest show of all time, The Wire, did really well, where they spoke in their own language because that's how they would speak. And so I liked it. All right. When, when did you learn what POTUS meant?
0: Uh, when Sam Seaborn said it means president of the United States.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's what I found out. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it it took me a minute. I was as dumb as Lori in that moment. Let me just put it that way. Um, wh- what do you what did you think of anything in this clip?
1: Once again, I, I mentioned how they're all talking about realistic things and intelligently. Another part of what I consider good Sorkin is when intelligent characters are speaking intelligently to each other. There are times in bad Sorkin where. It's like these intelligent characters are kind of explaining things to each other that they should both know. But this was intelligent people talking intelligently about uh, everything. Uh, One of my jokes about this first segment is that uh, personally I have an incredible fear of flying. I fly all the time, but I am a white-knuckle flyer, any bit of turbulence, and I am stressing out. And so when uh, this character doesn't turn off his computer or phone, if I had been sitting next to him on the plane, I would have been, I would have been like, "Listen, buddy, you're turning that crap off now." <laughs> but otherwise, I really, really liked it. In in another note about this beginning part, is that I think it could all, you could do this episode in 2015, and it would work fine, except the pagers. That is a thing that really dates the episode.
0: It definitely does date the episode, that is for sure. Um, there are some things in, in this show, uh, anything for, actually from pagers to politics, we'll say, that will date this show uh, sometimes. But uh, I totally agree with there. Now, I know I rattled off a lot of character names to you at the beginning. Um, how easy was it for you by the end of the episode, let's say? Because you're just kind of thrown into the mix with everything at the beginning of this episode. Um, Did did you want to know these characters' names, I guess, first of all, and did you learn them second of all?
1: Well, because it was a first episode and I had not really watched any episode before, it did – there are some characters I would be a bit confused about, the ones that really kind of get their own focus, like Josh. Josh is in trouble. Josh has said things that in today's political climate, there would be no debate. As soon as as he was done on that talk show, Josh would have been fired. And so – I, I was able to learn their n- names very well, Josh, CJ, but and Toby, I guess. The the one is that is Leo took me a bit of time to really go, okay, that's Leo.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because um, actually when this show uh, was originally pitched, Leo was kind of going to be the main guy from what I understand. There wasn't going to be President Bartlett appearing all that much. In fact, I think Martin Sheen was just – going to or they was just going to have President Bartlett like in the first episode and then it was just going to be all about the staff Um, but probably the network uh, made some notes and and, uh, convinced Sorkin (laughs) to to get uh, Martin Sheen in there because he really does uh, he really does a great job with his role uh, which looks a little canny actually in this first episode uh, but uh, they really they really give Bartlett places to go as the series goes on that's another reason why I hope you'll continue to watch the episode
1: well I don't know how much I don't know how much the President needed to be in the show, but when you have a team like this that even if you have problems with any of them are so smart and so dedicated, I think just seeing him at the end, seeing President Bartlett at the end is a good is a good bit of realism for the show once again to be able to say, Well, why are these people so dedicated? Oh this guy he's strong he you know when they put him in that suit, and he flips that hair back of his. Martin Sheed looks like a president, and so I'm glad he's in it, even uh-huh. if, like you say, he's almost—he is the part that feels the most fantasy-like. Of he is such a good—he's thinking about nothing except what's right. He's not thinking about votes or politics or opinion polls, like a president probably does. But otherwise, uh-huh. I, I'm really glad he's in it.
0: Uh-huh. Right on. Uh, out of the out of the introductions of the characters uh, that you've seen so far, uh, is there any one that sticks out to you? Because I think the first time I watched this, uh, it was Toby was the one who stuck out to me, uh, the the director of communications, because he's just so uh, sarcastic and harsh and very New York.
1: <laughs> well, I'm going to go to a, maybe an odd one, and maybe it's just because I'm a single man, ladies, but the assistant. I really liked that this wasn't, quote-unquote, the secretary. This assistant, uh, her name's Donna?
0: Yes, Donna Telemass.
1: Yeah, that she was so strong. And, and, you know, she, everybody in this show, everybody in the White House, let's all hope, is really smart, is really quick. And so I liked that a lot. And and the fact that here was this person who you could tell was on the, quote-unquote, corporate ladder, a step down from everybody else, that she was really strong. Uh, She stood out to me.
0: Right on, and not to spoil anything, but the, the funny thing is, is that as the show goes on, mm-hmm. uh, more of the assistants become more prevalent, <laughs> and, and they kind of have their own clique and their own little, their own little Good. things going on where they're talking about the people that they work for. You know, and it's great, it, and it feels very real, as you've pointed out before. Anything else about this clip before we move on to the next one?
1: No, just uh, you're being thrown in, you're being dropped in. And that's why I keep using the word real or realism or realistic so much. That's what you need. That's, for me, one of the biggest hooks and most positive things about this episode.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, in the next clip, Josh delivers. Oh, in the next clip, Josh discovers that his ex girlfriend and top political operative, Mandy Hampton, is working for Senator Lloyd Russell to explore running against President Bartlett in the next election. He then confronts her over lunch and get some advice from her regarding his own situation. Meanwhile, Sam finds out he's been assigned to give Leo's daughter's 4th grade class a tour of the White House, and also discovers that he accidentally switched pagers with the woman he was with the night before, and also finds out
2: that she works for an escort service. We've kind of already talked about the fact that everybody here is really smart. Um, Josh putting together
0: that Mandy Hampton uh, and, and, and Senator Lloyd might be working together, um, I, I, I think uh, points out, as well as many other things in this episode, that Toby is really on it. Because Toby, <laughs> is, you know, he points out that Mandy is in town to Josh, right? He's the one that actually clues Josh in, and then Josh does the, does the investigative work. Uh, and and so you want your director of communications to pretty much know what's going on everywhere so that he can anticipate what the president's message is going to be about this. He's also the one who makes sense about the, like the whole Cuban thing. Uh, Toby's the one who, who is trying to get Josh to smooth it over with Caldwell. I mean, Toby is the guy who is protecting the president's message, and I love that.
1: Well, protecting the president, that is something, dear Lord, everybody, I'm going to say it again, realistic drink. The president has people like that, always watching out for them. And so, yeah, I like that a lot as well. I thought that I'm willing to overlook some kind of coincidental parts of the episode where it's like, oh, goodness, my ex is—it just happens to be working for the person who might run for uh, against the president in the next election. But I was willing to overlook maybe that kind of happy coincidence because this is a beginning episode, and why not just get everything going?
0: This might be kind of fun for me and you to theorize about uh, Bubba because it's never really explained in the show. Uh, I can honestly tell you that it's never explained in the show. But if Mandy is so good at her job, as everybody seems to fear her, teaming up Mm -hmm. with this Lloyd Russell guy, um, why do you think that she's not working in the White House as some type of media consultant at this point? Because... Uh, is it? Do you think it's just because Josh and her had a thing, and Josh stayed and she went, or do you think it's about? Uh, given what you know about Mandy so far, uh, do you think it's just about the fact that she's like working the White House for one hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars a year? No, I'm going to go to some consulting firm and work for five million. What would be your impression of as to why Mandy wouldn't be part of this crew already?
1: To be honest, Matt, now that you tell me what consultants make, I think, boy, I'm in the wrong business. Let me get out of here. All right, let's do this. Uh, no, I would say that you know there are a lot of skilled people in every field. My own thought just watching it was, well, it's natural. People are going to be gravitating towards, dare I say it, if you leave one place, you are going to be gravitating to something that could be as awesome. And so I took it, and maybe I'm wrong and didn't understand it. She was kind of part of the president's team in the past maybe, and so she's hooking up with the next horse that could be president. Is that correct, or maybe I've misread the situation?
0: Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's a, a very good indication of of what happened. I'm just kind of curious as to what caused the separation in the first oh, place is what I mean, I'm kind so of curious about. It's got to be
1: him. It's got to be him, right? <laughs> it's got to be this guy. This guy with his poofed-up, receding bouffant, he is nothing but trouble, and she (laughs) ran away. Good for her. You go, girl.
2: Yeah, Uh,
0: because I have a hard time, especially in the first few episodes, Mm -hmm. um, and and, uh, Maura Kelly is a regular on this show. Oh, But I have a hard time uh, really getting into finding a reason at all to like Mandy at first. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I don't respect it. She seems very strong, and I can respect that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all seems me- you know, very self-absorbed and very self-motivated and, and doesn't seem like there's any kind of – like the typical Aaron Sorkin thing. She doesn't fit with the other caricatures because she's she's not idealistic.
1: Ooh, Well, I'm going to have to see as I keep watching these episodes if that's true to me in this first impression, first episode, she seemed natural. She seemed, she was definitely at work, even when she and Josh were alone in the restaurant. I didn't see sparks of romance. I saw they were both working, which is after relationships over, seems like it'd be natural.
0: Okay. On the other hand, then you have the contradiction of that, which is Sam, who seems almost overly idealistic to me. And I, I think Sam is kind of, Sorkin's channel for uh Pontificating a lot you'll hear a, you'll hear a lot of these Sorkin viewpoints come through Sam as you watch these episodes uh, and so uh, that can either make you like Sam a lot or it can make you really not like him a lot uh, depending on which kind of level you come from and And based on what you've said before, I'm going to guess the latter is going to be for you in regards to Sam um, but
1: well well, once again, because it's a pilot, and this is all I've seen of Sam. It is kind of a typical, almost sitcom plot where, wow, I met this great girl at a bar. Great. But what's the problem? She's a escort. (laughs) (laughs) But I was willing to overlook it. To me, it calls back to the infamous Rob Lowe fooling around with girls at a Democratic convention. And I thought maybe this was a good way. Because correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't this part of Rob Lowe's kind of comeback tour? He had been a, a teen slash 20 star in the 80s, and then here he was kind of sh- getting his act together and showing everybody, hey, I can act. And so to me it felt like this is an almost meta-comment on his past scandals.
0: Ah, very interesting, very interesting, and it could very well be. It could very well be. I like that. And a- I
1: and I just don't go to the right bars. I've never seen a professional <laughs> escort who looks as lovely as this uh, actress. Who's very recognizable. She she's in stuff all the time. Is is she on House or was she on House? Uh, so uh, to me, it made a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, anything else about the second clip before we move on?
1: No, just uh, I'm into the feel of it. This is I don't know how deep into the episode we are, but this is. This is in my wheelhouse. This is something I'm really liking are the thoughts going through my head as we were at this point in the show.
0: Right. On. Well, I think we're probably about halfway through, and we'll pick up our third clip there, where Leo reaches out to Reverend Al Caldwell to try and smooth things over with the conservatives. Sam gets his pager back from Lori and confirms her profession. And after giving an awful tour to McGarry's daughter's first grade class and recounting his day to the teacher,
2: he finally figures out that Mallory, the teacher, is actually Leo's daughter. Now, here's one thing that really made me like Leo right off the bat.
0: I mean, first of all, the walk and talk is great. Mm -hmm. But what I got from that scene with Caldwell was that he is just dogged. Man, I mean he, he is he is from any anything from the, the crossword puzzle uh to to uh trying to smooth things over with Caldwell, he does it in a very real way. He tries Matt, to do it. Matt, like let, me, real Matt, way.
1: let me Matt, let me interrupt you. Is it is it Leo who's dogged with the crossword or is it Toby? I'm getting a bit confused myself now.
0: Leo is the older guy. Toby is the bald guy.
1: Oh, okay, right, right, right. Okay, you're right. Leo is crossword. Okay, keep going, sorry.
0: Yeah, no problem. Uh, it's new to you, so I expect you to ask those kind of questions. Uh, but, you, you know, this whole thing with, with Caldwell, the way, the way he just keeps coming at him uh, as they're talking and they're walking down, down the avenue there, uh, they're very, uh, you know, it, it just shows his dedication to his president. Um, and, and even when he said, you know, is obviously upset by what Josh said about Mary Marsh, and, and Leo says that he's been trying to talk president bartlett from uh more or less i guess uh firing josh Uh, and josh and president bartlett has been livid about it but i i just feel like uh that it's kind of self-defeating in the respect of uh uh, when you watch the credits and you see that Bradley Whitford is uh, a main cast member, it doesn't seem like that he would uh, be fired in the first episode.
1: Well, this is where uh, the episode falls starts to fall down to an 8 from rather a 10 out of 10 for me. And that is this conversation where they're walking out – I believe they're walking out in front of the White House. It Maybe I'm just jaded now. But that part felt too comfortable. They were too comfortable being completely honest around each other. And mm. I like that Leo's a bulldog, like you were saying. But the the kind of honest truth, I don't think anybody would really say that to someone who's a popular religious figure in the country, as Leo kind of was talking to him. And so that's where the realism started to slip away from me, even if uh, even though I'm willing to accept the Hey, whoops! This girl I just met at a bar is a escort. <laughs> so uh, that was where it began. To felt like we are in fantasy world.
2: Gotcha,
0: understood. Well, I, I mean, as far as Sam goes, since you were talking about the 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 whole escort thing, um, Sam Sam can be really naive sometimes, and and his character does grow, um, but sometimes, and I think it's specifically pointed out in this episode, that he just can't see the forest for the trees. And then he's got this fixation on impressing Leo because Leo's mad at him for the fact that he hit on Leo's wife one time mistakenly. Uh, You could see that he would just totally dismiss this idea that Mallory would, uh, that uh, Leo's daughter would be the teacher instead of uh, a little girl. I mean, look at Leo's age. He's got a little girl this time. uh, How old is his wife, right? Although if Sam's hitting on his wife then maybe he didn't even think he he didn't even put it two and two together. Uh, I will say that I'm a huge fan of Allison Smith, the girl who plays Mallory. Oh, my gosh, she's uh, she's nice. I like looking at her.
1: Sorry, Mallory is Leo's daughter. Yeah, I thought the teacher was very attractive. And and not to jump too far ahead, but it, it, does it feel like Sam is actually still going to keep seeing this escort? That was another part where in a typical TV show, and probably in reality, I would imagine Sam would be like, escort, this never happened, completely forget me. And then, hey cute young teacher what are you doing later let's go to tapas you know so right uh, help me out is that correct does sam tell the escort i'll you know let's do this again sometime
0: well i i don't think he ever uh solicits her again you know i mean their their first time together wasn't a solicitation either right it right, was, right. He, i'm
1: saying does he try to date her well maybe I, maybe i got the wrong impression from this episode
0: I don't think that you did. See, here's the thing about Sam and, and this is why I say that uh Sorkin sometimes uses Sam to kind of pontificate a little bit. Um because Sam is so idealistic that he doesn't see Lori as being an escort. Or you get you get later on that that he doesn't mind the fact that she's an escort. She's just a person to him. Uh oh and that is
1: Lord. Come that's on. Very,
0: well, that's pretty naive, isn't it? It's very uh, – it's its one of those things. And he, he – I mean, given that he thinks that way, uh, what are the chances you would say that that's going to come back and bite him in the butt someday?
1: Well, let me ask my good buddy, Anthony Weiner. Anthony – wait. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the <laughs> – I guess it's realistic since these people keep doing it, but come on. You've got this cute teacher here. You've made, you're a handsome guy, you've made a fool of yourself, but you can turn this around. And instead, uh, he goes back to the escort. Bad move, Sam. Bad move. Get Dr. Phil in here. Now, Sam, you've got to think about your choices. (laughs) Or bring in the...
0: Bring in the NBC, uh, the NBC president and say, we've got to have a love triangle here. I mean.
1: <laughs> right. Where's the will they or won't they? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Anything else about the third clip, sir?
1: Well, I didn't catch – You know, I didn't predict it until he started on that speech describing his day. But, of course, the twist that the daughter was the teacher was a great twist. Once again, as soon as he starts beginning telling a story of his crazy day in his rapid-fire dialogue, which Shorkin loves to write, as soon as he started that, I could immediately tell, oh, she's the daughter. But before then, I liked it. But once again, it's fun. It's kind of television-y, where I would like the show a bit to be more real by this point, where the first 30 minutes I was really all in – These little cracks in the scene are, once again, which kind of knock it down a couple pegs, even though I really did like the episode.
0: All right. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Well, uh, If there's nothing else, let's move on to our fourth clip. And in this clip, Josh tries to make peace with the delegation represented by Reverend Caldwell and Mary Marsh, but it evolves into a left-wing, right-wing clash of ideas. President Bartlett finally arrives and begins to weigh in on the argument, explaining why he had the bicycle argument. Can't talk.
1: Is it a bicycle argument or bicycle accident?
2: You're right. Bicycle accident. Uh, um. Let's see. You want to go first or me?
1: Here, let me go first this time. All right. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Now on the bicycle accident. A lot of times you would say, oh, that's so cutesy. But it immediately made me think of something which happened many years later in real life, President George W. Bush's infamous pretzel accident, where you would think, (laughs) how could a guy get a big bruise on his face and collapse while eating a pretzel? You know, you can't make this stuff up. And here, this bicycle accident, uh, where maybe watching it, if I had seen it back when it first aired, I would think, oh, that's a little cutesy. Instead, because of this real life stuff, I was like, ah, yeah, that makes sense. I buy it what did, what did you think of a of a great president who seemingly can 't bike?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think his explanation as to why he was so outraged uh, and all of that might have might explain part of it, but I, I did find it a little campy myself, and for the purpose of making jo- having c j be able to make some jokes earlier in the in the episode as well um, you know, I, 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 it's just a way to add a little bit of humor in there. Um, who is it? Uh, didn't John Kerry hurt himself recently?
2: On, yeah, on, our sec- our
1: a- Secretary of State. He's what? What? How did he's now on crutches? I just saw him earlier today on crutches, and he did. I can't remember what he was doing. Was he actually biking too?
0: I, c- I kind of think it was a bicycle thing. Oh. I actually do
1: so in other words after after the upcoming presidential debates'll we'll we then make all the candidates walk a balance beam uh ride a bike
2: <laughs>
1: you know we ought to put in the physical part of the presidential right, politics yeah. too
0: yeah there, there's the uh there's the uh definitely the the prerequisites of uh all of that stuff you gotta instead of the debates, you just have them, uh okay uh fifty pull ups please. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
2: You don't
1: think they go on bicycle when you're in Iowa? Come on, you don't want to do a a train stop. How about a bike stop? We're gonna really, Uh, you know, instead of a stump speech, we're gonna do a, uh, we're gonna shoot. uh, uh, Instead uh, of a stump speech, we're gonna, you know, a bicycle bicycle bypass. We're gonna be like, all right, everybody, listen here. This is how I feel on taxes. Faster, faster.
2: I, <laughs> I didn't get bo-
1: bothered by the cutesiness of it. Is Let me ask you something, and I, this hopefully doesn't come across as a spoiler, but does he st- keep the kind of clutziness for the rest of the series?
2: Well,
0: it's interesting that you would ask that, because I think that you have to watch the series to understand where some of the kind of things happen, or okay. why some of the kind of things happen. But some of them do continue to happen, I will say that.
2: Well, good. Uh, but I, I, I would
1: not... be worried that they'd introduce this just in a pilot to kind of get you, you know, to get kind of some of this uh, lighter stuff in, and then they'd forget about it. Uh, my biggest fear would be they'd drop it entirely.
2: Yeah, there, there, there are some things
0: that are revealed in later seasons that you can pretty much, and and again, I I know that when you and I have talked about George R. R. Martin's books, it says we've said, well, you can say this thing here, and then later you can make it into anything else. Um, that might have kind of happened with President Bartlett. Uh, okay. Let me just put it that way. Uh, but it's an interesting reveal, and it's—I I personally really like the story of it. So, um, and it does make you look at President Bartlett in a whole different way. That's for sure. Uh, Matt, for let's, who, go,
1: let, let's flip some of this light, fun, cutesy stuff, and let's get to probably the biggest problem for me in this pilot episode, and the only reason why it didn't—it it lost two points on my rating scale, and that is. This the quote-unquote dramatic apex of the story, and even though this one politician and the things I'm sorry this one religious figure and the things that he said are repugnant and are supposed to be, I think the audience is supposed to be repulsed by him. On the flip side of it, in today's politics, and I still feel it was this way back then, Josh should have been fired immediately, and. That's where the realism that I liked about so much of the episode, and even though I've looked past some of the kind of pilot episodes, you know, first uh, dramatic things that didn't feel real, this one felt almost too fake, too much into fantasy land. Even if Josh is in the right, an administration which has so many things to deal with would not want this albatross hanging around their neck. And so the fact that it wasn't just that Josh wasn't fired – but that Josh n- never had to be humble, never had to backtrack on his beliefs just to get this to smooth over, that was tough for me. So, what did you think? Did you, on a first episode, did you like Josh enough to not want him to be fired, or were you glad he wasn't fired? What were your thoughts on it?
2: Well, my
0: interest, the, the interesting thing for me is that uh, – and, and maybe you can even extend your unrealism to the fact that once they're in the room, Josh is the only one who's remaining calm. It's right. everybody I, else that's getting all, every, everything out. And I, think, I actually I think did fact, like
1: that part of it. I did like that part of it.
0: Yeah, and, and so he's trying to make amends. He's trying to do what Toby says for him. And so that made me like Josh. And the arguments uh, in terms of being realistic or not, uh, or whether we're supposed to be repulsed by them or not, I agree with you. I I think that uh, that Sorkin kind of vilified the conservative side of the things just to make it seem like that we'll almost want to root that Josh doesn't get fired. But again, I go back to that conversation with Leo and and Reverend Caldwell earlier. You know, and and in response to realistically, he should have been fired. That was Bartlett's immediate response from everything we can we can tell, Mm -hmm. and that's what should have happened. Uh, I think that that speaks to the friendship between Leo and the president in a way because Leo, rather than just serving at the pleasure of the president there, um, knew, knew him well enough to try and talk him down from it.
1: Oh, I, I guess that part, maybe because I don't know the characters well enough, didn't truly come across to me. But once again, the bigger issue was no president, no matter how much he would want to, could go to town on so blatantly on somebody you know somebody yeah. as repugnant as this one religious figure was made to be, the president just couldn't couldn't wouldn't do it right it would it would blow up to into a bigger storm yeah. And so uh, this is where some stuff i'd been able to write off this is where I think it would have been more interesting. If somehow you know look at the, our world, our world has some crazy things, our world has things, and I don't want to get political on this show, but we do have things where you can have people with beliefs that are completely uh anti what you believe, and yet the person on the other side is actually charming, you know, like boy, I think he's completely wrong, but he's kind of charming, or he has this one point on this one thing. And I think there could have been bigger drama if this one religious figure hadn't been, as I like to keep referring to him, as a straw man, if his side of the argument hadn't been preposterous,
2: hadn't been wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I can uh... – Hello? Hello, hello? The things that I think that you probably just – can
0: you hear me?
1: I can hear you now. I did lose you for about 30 seconds. Sorry.
0: Okay. Well, I can definitely end that viewpoint, Bubba, and and this may be one of those kind of Sorkin aspects of the show uh, that you have characterized with other Sorkin shows that you just don't like. Um, I can say that um, especially in the first few episodes that Bartlett is kind of like the moral of the story guy, Um, and I think that's probably because I don't think that Sorkin really intended for uh, President Bartlett to be there, and so he was trying to figure out what to do with him uh, more so than anything else. Um, But uh, I totally agree that there's no way that any real president could get away with this without there being uh, ten times the amount of fallout that comes from this. I mean, Caldwell, I love your description of him being just a straw man because instead of of doing what anybody should have done – which is insult the president right back and walk out of the room.
1: Right, right, uh, and say, I'm going to go just, talk on Fox News and tell him what you said.
0: Exactly. Instead, he's like, oh, we'll fix this, we'll fix this, Leo, we'll fix this. You know, uh, That happens later on in the next clip, but it still just seems um, totally uh, unrealistic for either side uh, to behave the way they do once Bartlett comes into the room. On the other hand, yeah. uh, I think it also, maybe to me, uh, even on a first watch emphasized that for Bartlett, family is very, very important, and when you threaten his granddaughter or somebody that you're- that someone else is associated with threatens your granddaughter um you're going to use your power uh and and abuse your power <laughs> good to, yeah
1: let's do it <laughs> to uh
0: to make sure that that right or that wrong gets righted at least that's that was the way I thought about it. And it didn't make me like or dislike Bartlett anymore, but I, it did make me kind of help to see his perspective on it.
1: Okay. Now, and once again, folks, I don't want to bring in politics into it. I'll just say that I am uh, out here in Los Angeles. I am liberal on most issues. And so it, it isn't that the fact that he's standing up for himself and, and smacking down this uh, Revlon Bartlett is that is uh, sorry Reverend Caldwell right? Yeah. And Mary Marsh. It isn't what he's saying so much as once again I'd been I'd bought into the world I'd bought into the realism of this world and then that just little the the what I perceived as a bit unrealistic result of it uh, was just a bit hard for me. But I still liked it. Still liked everything about the show.
0: None. No. Well, totally understood there. Anything else on this fourth clip before we move on to the last one?
1: No, let's get to it, because I think this is a fun wrap-up to a pilot episode. It's easy to forget, because there's so much going on, and we did just jump right in. But this is the very first episode ever, so of course it should have a nice little uh, button wrap-up on the end.
0: Of course. And in this final clip, President Bartlett dismisses Caldwell's group, gives the staff some perspective, and forgives Josh with a warning. So we kind of talked about it in our discussion of the last clip, Bubba, but uh, as I said, Bartlett is kind of like the moral of the story guy uh, in these first few episodes, and if you could deal with that for just a little while, then he does get, he does get developed better. Um, but uh, I loved how the whole Cuban thing was placed into perspective, and again, this is the way Sorkin does things, the moral of the story or whatever, and this is Bartlett's role in this particular case. Um, but it's great how something that has been in the background of the whole episode is brought to the forefront. And and to me as a viewer reminded me about what's really important in life. That that's what, you know, I I thought that that was beautifully done. Now, some people will say that that was overly done, but I just, as someone who is a lover of sometimes guilty pleasure television, I really enjoyed it.
1: I, I think you're meant to enjoy this end scene. And even though I, once again really didn't watch the show at all when it aired the one thing i always heard was people say bartlett was the president we all wish we had rather than the president we you have to deal with and of course the presidents we have to deal with have to deal with all the things you know like sniping like putting out fires like looking ahead to uh the next election and that kind of stuff so i i didn't mind it even though the the fantasy part of it is that was tough for me i, I liked it in the fact that jocks kept his job you know that that was tough but he has a good team this is the even if it is fantasy land this is the type of competent team we would all hope no matter what political party's in office this is the kind of competent team we all want in there in the white house uh when things are going down
0: I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Despite some of their flaws. I mean, uh, Sam's sleeping with call girls, Josh isn't keeping his mouth shut.
2: Oh, but Josh Lord.
0: Josh does know uh how to, to and, and Toby both. They know how to, to uh uh smell a sleeping dog <laughs> when <laughs> it's around, you know.
1: <laughs> so right.
0: Yeah, so uh, that that does give them some value in the, in this episode as well. And I think that if you continue to watch this show, you'll really start to like Toby. I, that's just my uh, prediction for you.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, anything else about this clip?
1: Well, uh, nothing about the kip, clip. I just want to – let's get into kind of episode ratings and stuff.
0: All right, let's do it. Uh, Baba, how about your rating first? I'll give you dibs on the rating first.
1: I've already spoil, spoiler alert everybody. I gave it eight out of ten. I really did like it. It featured good Sorkin, which I've described before. It's competent people debating complex, realistic issues with other competent people. Uh, the you know the bad Sorkin, what I've been calling, where it's noble, competent people beating down the terrible, incompetent chumps. It was very, very minimal. Having said that, since the wire which I've already referred to on this show, and I honestly think is, if not the best, one of the best television shows that's ever been, it makes me see how everything is so complex, and that complexity is actually very enjoyable. So if the show goes more fantasy, I don't know if I'll like The West Wing, but this first taste was good, and so I'm going to give it a couple more, and let's
0: see how it goes. All right. Well, I think that that's fabulous. We've actually—I didn't know. I thought you were going to come on here and school me as to how badly I was, how badly I had ruined your day by watching this episode. I'm pleased. Oh well, that, that's
1: going to be the next podcast. People are going to have to subscribe <laughs> on iTunes, on Stitcher. If you, you, if you want to hear the schooling, just like this first pilot episode of the podcast, we have to start nice. You know, I have to be a nice guy and then, you know, be the fantasy podcaster that I am. But later. Get your knives out. I'll be taking Matt down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> as well you probably should, because I do look at this sometimes as a guilty pleasure. Uh, but I never m- re- mind rewatching this episode. I, it's definitely not the strongest episode ever, uh, but it kind of does set the tone for a lot of what you get in the series, and that includes the, re- the realism mixed with a little bit of fantasy. I'll just say that, Bubba. There is some fantasy in it. I, I don't feel like it grows that much more. Uh, but okay, good. I'll, le- I'll leave that for you to determine for yourself because uh, my mind is a little more slanted towards just uh, loving these people as caricatures and, and just looking at it as kind of um, – I I tend to look at every certain show as just outlandish first. And then things like you know, your discussion of realism and everything help reel it back in. So hopefully – uh, my my opinion isn't too skewed, and you won't uh, pull the knives out later when you say, you told me it was going to be this way, and it wasn't. Um, <laughs> but we'll see, we'll see. Uh, I do like the fast talk. I, I like the multiple plots. I like the great ensemble work. I think that this is a okay. great acting cast. Uh, Allison Janney, uh, you didn't get a whole lot of her this episode, but I love her. Uh, I I love uh, Richard, is it Richard Schilling? Is he the guy that plays Toby?
1: I believe um, that's correct, yeah
0: yeah he is he has Toby becomes one of my favorite characters, and it it all lies on that actor's performance for me, um, more so than anything that Sor- Sorkin puts in his mouth. Um, and this episode it, it fares better than, than some episodes in the sense that there isn't uh, too much cheese in it. Uh, there are going to be some episodes bubble where there will be some cheese, but there are many episodes where this is about the par. I'll just put it that way.
2: Okay.
0: Uh, and uh, hopefully. Uh, that will be enough to, to keep you from just uh, throwing the iPad across the room as you're watching on Netflix or whatever. Uh, we don't want to throw books or iPads across the room anymore. That's why we are where we are with, uh, with George R. R. Martin and Game of Thrones. Anyway, uh, thank you so much, Bubba, for, for joining me, unless you have anything else to add about the episode.
1: Well, I want to speak to our listeners quickly. Listeners, I want you to write in, you can uh, tweet, you can email, you can put reviews on iTunes and stuff, and tell me, you know, really what I want you to do is tell Matt, Matt, this podcast isn't realistic. You should have fired Fitton, I'm sorry, you should have fired Bubba as soon as he started talking this crap. Once he started bringing politics into it, you should have fired him right on the spot, Matt. That brought this podcast into fantasy land. So write us and let us know (laughs) where we've made a terrible mistake.
0: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And you can definitely uh, contact me in a couple of ways, and I'll be happy to forward this stuff to Bubba. You can uh, email sorkincast at gmail.com, or you can call the Rewatching Good TV listener line, 314-669-1840. Now, that is a listener line for multiple podcasts, so please Say that you're leaving feedback for the SorkinCast so that I can put it in the proper place. Or you can tweet at SorkinCast. And don't forget that we will have a feedback episode. I'm having to pre-record these before they're released simply because of the way my summer schedule is as a music performer. So uh, we will have a special feedback podcast with all of your feedback for the first 11 episodes of The West Wing during the 12th episode of the podcast Uh, which I have no idea how far down the line that is, but you have up until the 11th episode review in order to uh, submit any feedback about any of those episodes. Next week we're going to look at post hoc ergo propter hoc. And there's Sorkin being smart by giving us a little Latin in the title, Uh, but uh, that's the second episode of season one. I hope that you will join us. You can find all of the information at sorkincast.wordpress.com and Bubba, Once again, I want to thank you for your time entertaining me, especially with this Lost Hope podcast. Uh, You and Catfish are brilliant on it and uh, has really enjoyed or enhanced my enjoyment of the television show. I love the television show. I haven't read the book yet, but as soon as as the miniseries is over, I'm going to read that book and uh, uh, however long it takes me with all the footnotes (laughs) and everything as you guys talk about. Uh, But I I love that, so please tell people about that podcast. Also, I know a new season of The Strain is coming up, so tell them about that and about your Game of Thrones podcast and how people can talk to you about the West Wing uh, to tell you how wrong you are to bring in politics into something like (laughs) a show titled The West Wing, for crying out loud.
1: Right. Well, listeners, please, tell me I'm wrong. You can reach me on Twitter. My name is Bubba. My Twitter handle is at Fit and Trim. That's F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M, at Fit and Trim on Twitter. And everybody loves being retweeted. So if you tweet me how wrong I am about the West Wing, I'll be sure to retweet it so all my followers can learn how wrong I've been. Folks, if you like whimsy and also kind of light magic that can sometimes deal with serious issues, you're going to love this BBC adaption of Susanna Clark's Novel Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Uh, if you're listening to this after it's aired, go to iTunes or go to a store and get these episodes. I think you'll really like it. And you go to iTunes and hear my podcast which, to follow along with the show as it airs. It's called Lost Hope. And uh, you'll learn what that meaning is as the show goes along. If you watch and you like Gory, Crazy, not very logical at all, vampires on FX's TV show, The Strain. Listen to my Strain podcast that's called Got Your Milk? And as you've been following along as Game of Thrones heads towards winter finally arriving, go to iTunes and check out the Joffrey podcast, your number one source for things about Game of Thrones that deal with Joffrey and the show as well. So, Matt, thank you so much for having me on. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's go back to the 90s. Let's do it, baby. (laughs)
0: <laughs> My life was much happier in the 90s, and therefore I'm more than happy to. Uh, and folks, thanks again for, for joining us. Again, sorkincast.wordpress.com for
2: all the information. See you next time. All right, Corning. Yeah, thank you. I always wait for <laughs>